This is Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. I am Amber McCrary, host of Abalone Mountain Press Podcast. Our podcast focuses on Indigenous writers and their writing journeys. Our guest today is Danae writer Danielle Geller. We will be discussing her new book, Dog Flowers, out now from One World. According to Penguin Random House, Dog Flowers is an arresting photolingual memoir that masterfully weaves together images and texts to examine mothers and mothering, sisters and caretaking, and colonized bodies. Exploring loss and inheritance, beauty and balance, Danielle Geller pays homage to our pasts, traditions, and heritage to the families we are given and the families we choose. And now, my interview with Danielle. Also, stay tuned after the interview for this month's writing prompt. So today we are interviewing Danielle Geller. Um, She is a writer of personal essays and a memoir. She received her MFA in creative writing for nonfiction at the University of Arizona and a Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award in 2016. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, Brevity, and Arizona Highways and has an anthology and has been anthologized in This is the Place. She lives with her husband and two cats in British Columbia where she teaches creative writing at the University of Victoria. She is a member of the Navajo Nation, born to Sinigini, born for the white man. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited to be here talking with you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about your book and everything. Yeah. You always have like so much cool like career stuff going on, writing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's been, I don't know, a, a crazy couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw that your book um, was going to be published, I was just so excited and couldn't wait to read it. Thank so, of you. course, once it came out, I, I read it the day. <laughs> I, read, I started reading it the day it came out, and uh, I read it in three days. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, So first, thank you for letting me interview you for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in your memoir, Dog Flowers, you talk Mm -hmm. a lot about growing up in Florida and Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Would you consider yourself an East Coaster or is that even the appropriate name for it? Yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting question because... You know, I never really felt at home on the East Coast, and I didn't feel at home until I was in Tucson and in the desert. Um, but you know, like there are certainly parts of of South Florida and Central Pennsylvania, which is where I spent a lot of my life, that has sort of like seeped into me. Um, I know that if I'm not paying attention, I can talk really quickly and it drives my grandma crazy because, you know, she just can't understand what I'm saying. Um, and there, there are a couple of uh, linguistic things that I've adopted from central Pennsylvania, like, uh, 
they they drop the the to be out of a lot of their verbs and so you might say something like these dis- these dishes need washed rather than like these dishes need to be washed and so like i can still uh like feel those sort of regionalisms like in my speech but i think it's harder to understand or to consider or think about some of the other things that i might have adopted from from the east coast versus the west coast hmm. yeah that's that's pretty interesting. Um, so when you moved to the West Coast for the first time, did you have mm. any culture shocks? Uh, not, I think that when I moved to a new place, because I've moved so much my whole life, like there, even within cities, you know, I was constantly moving and, and moving, sometimes moving a half an hour away can be more shocking than moving all the way across the country because what you think is supposed to be familiar can feel or be so different. You know, when I was in Pennsylvania and I was living in the suburbs in Dallas town, and then we moved a half an hour into the city, like the demographic shift and the cultural shift, like it was crazy how different those two spaces were in the same like County. Um, so then moving somewhere, like moving, I moved from Boston to Tucson, which like those two places I don't think could be much more different. Um, then I just start to like look for familiar things that help me like build a new routine. And so in Boston, I was really into Brugger's bagels. Like I love bagels. I love bagels so much. Um, and there's a Brugger's in Tucson. And so oh, nice. I, I just started going to Brugger's bagels in Tucson because it was like one of those things where like it felt like the last place I had lived and it was a little bit grounding. Um, oh. But I, you know, I quickly fell in love with the mountains and the desert and the sun and all the, you know, Tucson is one of the places with the most like the most birds that fly through and are there um, and in anywhere in the United States. And so it was just a very exciting place for me to be. Wow. Yeah. Tucson is a really great place. And Mm. you mentioned the bagels. Like I I know they have like really good food in Tucson (laughs) and like, (laughs) and that's always something that's hard for me moving from Flagstaff to Phoenix. Like Flagstaff has pretty good food too, Mm -hmm. like local restaurants and so that's something that it's always hard for me, like <laughs> living in Phoenix, because yeah. <laughs> everything's like, you know, like franchise type stuff, like Kings, right. or, you know, and so like, even when I would go to Tucson, I felt like, you know, that was kind of like, reminded me a little bit about Flagstaff, because you had like the, the really good food and like local stuff, and yeah, you know, um, especially like even though Phoenix is in the Sonoran Desert, like I feel like Tucson, there's something about Tucson that accentuates the Sonoran a lot more (laughs) than here. Yeah, no, like Tucson feels like, like Phoenix feels like it just erased the Sonoran Desert, whereas Mm -hmm. Tucson, you know, is like sort of embedded in it. Like there's like the the Palo Verdes and the mesquite trees and the Ocotillos and they're like in everyone's yards and then you drive into Phoenix and you know like it's just like green grass that people have to water a million times a day because that's not what's supposed to be there yeah and there's so many there's so many like transplant trees here that aren't Mm -hmm. supposed to be here that aren't supposed to be in the desert like and that messes a lot with like my allergies and my sinuses. Yeah. <laughs> they're not even supposed to be here, but like I don't know. I always feel really weird about that. Like it's almost like um, 
it's like people like trying to bring something to the desert that like is just I don't know it doesn't really necessarily fit and it's and it looks and it does look like obvious and odd like right you know seeing like endless endless like shopping malls and like yeah I don't know sometimes I I'm just like oh Phoenix (laughs) (laughs) yeah and sometimes I'm just like yeah whatever like it's Arizona (laughs) it's small (laughs) it has like my you know the native people the native artists here so like right I I think that was that was the most striking thing to me you know moving from I I had a a boyfriend and his father, like his grandpa was from Guam. Like they were the native Tamoran people of Guam. And and in Boston, he grew up sort of like, you know, Boston can be very segregated in Mm -hmm. in where people live, but there's still a diversity of people that you encounter on on a daily basis. And I remember when he drove home with me, like when I was, my grandma lived in uh, Pennsylvania and we drove across the border of Pennsylvania and we stopped to get gas. And he was just like, man, like there are so many white people here. Like where are the brown people? And I'm like, yeah, there's not, like, we're just alone here. Um, and I think, you know, when I moved to, when I moved to Arizona and I walked into a grocery store, um, you know, like there were just like people who were walking around who looked like me. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is, it was one of the first times in my life where I'd been surrounded by, by people who like looked like me or like, I, I felt like I had some like connection with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you got the chance, would you ever like move back to Arizona? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I I would love to. It's complicated by like, you know, I met my husband, he's Canadian, like his family oh, lives yeah. in Canada. And so there's a, a pull to be here near his family. Uh, but, you know, I miss my family. And then it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's complicated by yeah. the adult things of like, where can we both get jobs? Like, how, where can yeah. we live? Like, yeah. That's totally true. Yeah. Yeah. The bummer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can always visit though when it's like yes. the weather's nice and it's not like 120 degrees. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> don't miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so with the book Dog Flowers, you mentioned um a lot of this book is about your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see a lot of your father in this book. There's a tenderness there that many people who have experienced trauma and addiction in their family um, kind of write about it, but it can be very like traumatic and uh, in ways like hard to forgive a lot of actions that have happened to people, you know, that grew up with addiction um, in in their family. And I don't know, I see so much tenderness the way you write about your father. did you did you intend for there to be such tenderness written towards your father? Yeah, no, I definitely did. There are two people in my family that I let read parts of the book before it was published, and those two people were my dad and my sister Eileen. Um, and I think the tenderness towards my dad comes from a lot of things. Like one is. You know, he, there are a lot of things that I can't, 
forgive him for. And there are a lot of things that, that made me so angry. And, and like he hurt, not just me, but my sister, like my mom, you know, like there, there's a lot of hurt in that relationship. But at the same time, I know that, I know that like he grew up in an abusive home and he experienced a lot of the things that I experienced and, and he struggled with like his mental health and his addiction and like his mother enabled him and enabled him throughout his whole life. No matter how many times, like we had the conversation where like, stop sending him money, you know, stop sending him up in an apartment with a car. Um, and so, you know, like I, I understand how he got into the position that he was in. And so I feel a lot of empathy for him. And, and even though like he certainly did take advantage of that feeling and he did take advantage of, of all of the times that I, I tried to help him. Um, it's hard for me or impossible for me to see him only as like perpetrator of abuse he was also you know like he experienced abuse um and so I I think the tenderness or like the care that I take in writing about him is an extension of Mm -hmm. of that like I can't I can't just erase you know that narrative in favor of the narrative of like you know like these are the things that he did to me or when I was a kid growing up yeah yeah and I think that's what makes it him like that's what I, I I really love the way you wrote about him in a way that's like you know you didn't just write like oh he did this and he sucks you know like yeah. you know it, it, there's so many like layers to him especially with um you know uh family trauma generational trauma addiction and then like there's even one part that like sticks out to me so much in the book where he um you you write write about one something something he said where uh it was like he was I think he might have been drunk at the time but he mentioned your grandmother and he was like uh your grandmother you know your grandmother used to drink and she was so much worse than me and like Mm -hmm. I'm like she's the reason why I drink is because (laughs) of like how she was when I was growing up and how like you know how maybe she could have possibly been abusive or just, you know, having these traumatic experiences he had growing up. And that like, I felt like I really like, um, that really stood out to me because I actually have uncles, you know, who kind of say the same things about, about like my grandmother or like a family member. And I'm just like, and it's funny because like, because like my grandmother or like these older, you know, relatives, like they're such, they're like so nice and like, you know, they helped me so much growing up. Yeah. And like, if I needed something, they would like reach out to me and support me. But right. then like you hear this other part about like how they were as right. parents. So I, that really stood out to me and that really made me like sympathize for who he was, you know, and how, how he was raised. Right. And, and for him, you know, like, you know, my, my, his mom, my grandma, she'd been sober 
I actually don't know how long she's been sober at this point, but you know, like the number sticks out in my mind, like 21 years at, at some point in my life. Like I remember she was selling her, her 21st year of sobriety. And, you know, she had um, friends that, sh- that knew her for a long time who would even like send her cards, like greeting cards, like congratulations, like celebrating like the anniversary of, of this really important milestone in her life. And so like he can see her moving on even though, you know, she hasn't reconciled what she has done to him. Like, even though like part of like the, the 12 steps, right. Is the making amends. Mm -hmm. Like those amends haven't actually been, were never made between my grandmother and my father. And so what he's seeing is the hypocrisy and he sees her moving on and her being like applauded for this thing. And he still feels all that hurt and all that blame and all of that anger. Um, And and I wish he had been able to let that go. Like, I wish yeah. he had been able to, to, to work past that. Um, yeah. 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 I, it's similar. Yeah. <laughs> I relate to that. I mean, like, that's, you know, similar. I've had similarity, similar stuff that has happened with my right. family in the past when it comes to addiction and trauma or generational communication you know and that's always I think that's one of the big reasons why I'm a writer is because I just like have those things in me that I'm like okay I know about this thing and like I don't know what to do about it right and like sometimes I can't talk to my family about it so like just writing it down (laughs) yeah and just writing it down helps the most and like finding other people that, you know, have go through the same thing. Like, I think it like that helps me the most, you know, that like, I'm not alone in these situations. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, when my sister was working towards her sobriety and I visited her, um, she was going to meetings every day and then I would go with to meetings with her. And that was the thing that I, I noticed most about these, because I had a lot of skepticism about like 12 step meetings because, you know, my dad had memorized the 12 steps. Like he, it didn't work for him at all. And part of it was the religion. Part of it was the structure, uh, the narrative. But the thing that struck me most about being in that space was people were just sharing stories and they were sharing that connection and that relationship with with people who really understood where they were and what they were going through and it was less about you know it was less about the steps it was less about like the higher power and it was more just about that feeling of being in community with with people who get what you're going through mm-hmm. and it sucks because you know like my family and many families when these things happen they're like well we don't talk about it or like that's not a conversation we can have because it's a really you know, it's a really hard conversation to have. Um, but it, I think, you know, that kind of silence just perpetuates the harm and the hurt. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so there's a moment in the book where you return to the Navajo Nation. The way you describe the land is so beautiful and poetic. Uh, considering the trauma and almost disconnection written about your mom's side of the family. There were so many parts I connected with and even sadly, some of the brokenness that, you know, going Mm -hmm. home can feel like going back to the res. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But there, (laughs) there is this one part I absolutely loved in your book. 
um, where you were sitting in your aunt's backyard on the res and you were having like a really like deep intense moment with like <laughs> yeah. yourself and with like looking at this bird because you you know you talk a lot about birds in this book and like yeah. how, how much you admire them and like you were talking about I don't know if I'm saying it right um you were looking at a pain pino pepla oh yeah a pheno pheno pepla pheno pepla yeah and so like I just like thought of this like really like beautiful obscure bird because <laughs> it had like such a like unique name and yeah. I never heard of it so I was like oh it must be fancy like rare bird and then um <laughs> so when you went into detail and I got lost in the moment like that you were painting for us mm-hmm. and then your aunt comes outside and starts screaming stupid crows and like tries to shoo them away with like cardboard pieces and like I could just see her like waving her hands everywhere trying to get them to go away and I thought that was so funny I couldn't stop laughing about this scene and like how this was like so spot on with native humor like one minute you're like so deeply intense like you know in it with like what is going on in the situation that's like so serious and like so like tragic on many levels Mm -hmm. but then like something happens and you like like something just happens that's so funny that you can't like help but laugh you know regardless of the situation and I feel like that like ties in a lot with like what res humor is and like how like humor really does get like res humor gets us through like so much um, yeah. as native people. And um, I was I was wondering if what was it your intention to bring in like res humor into this scene? Yeah, definitely. Especially like that part of that part of the book, because you know, I, I was certainly worried that well, I think actually it's just it was more that like it feels like the most authentic representation of my family and my time there was, you know, like the way that my little cousin like teased me constantly and, and the way that my aunts and my grandmothers interacted with each other. Like, it's just, it's just the way that people relate to one another. And like my uncles, like, like, like they have such a, like a, a unique brand of humor too and um I think one of the the things that I'm self-conscious of or aware of is I mostly feel awkward and usually not very funny and so it was like the the humor that I needed or wanted to be part of that was like coming from other people um I'd love to be a humor writer but I'm just not (laughs) but 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 there was such a you know, when I'm thinking about my mom and, and what I miss about my mother, it was her sense of humor. And mm-hmm. when you, when you talk about like imagining like my aunts or like waving her arms, there's like a frenetic energy to like my mother and my aunts and like the, our aunties on the reservation is just, um, it's a physical humor. It's not just like, a you know, the words that are spoken. Um, yeah. And it just, it fills my heart with love for mm-hmm. them. Oh, yeah, I can definitely, (laughs) I can definitely see the, like, the physical humor you talk about, and, like, even Mm -hmm. with her, you know, I think there was one part where you were, like, talking to your cousin, and, like, you're about to go to sleep or something, and, like, your Mm -hmm. aunt, like, 
comes in like leave her alone she needs to sleep and then closes the door and I was like that is like so anti-status right there so it was like so weird and my my cousin and I were just like trying so hard not to laugh because it's so ridiculous but Uh yeah um yeah no it's one of those things where like you know some people are going to read that part and they're going to get it and they're going to laugh and then other people you know like maybe we won't won't catch on to the humor that's there but but yeah yeah if you don't mind me asking like has your aunt like read the book or like seen some of the scenes where you talk about like her reactions to things yeah no she hasn't we had a bit of a falling out of sort of around my my cousin um and yeah there's like a line in the book where you're like I wasn't the daughter and like she wasn't the mother that we like needed each other to be or like wanted each Mm. other to be um and and there was like a moment of apology from her to me that uh, I wanted to accept, but I was still so, you know, I have so many walls up between myself and other people. Like I just, mm-hmm. I have a, I have a really hard time trusting people and opening up to people. And my priority, like right now, like it's my sisters, like they're, mm-hmm. they are my priority. And, and so like the emotional energy that I have to put into my relationships, it's going to them um, yeah and and I miss my my cousin so much um but mm-hmm. I'm not sure sort of what it what it will take or what it would look like for my aunt and I to reconcile yeah. I want to you know like I want to have that relationship but yeah 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 no I understand um well I hope she does like read it and like appreciates like (laughs) how funny she is in the book and like you know and it was yeah it was it was a very good like um like realistic portrayal of you know going back to the res and Mm. how some of our aunties can be or uncles usually for me it's my uncles because I have pretty much nothing but uncles (laughs) yeah I have nothing but uncles and they're all like I don't know just kidding but like I mean they're okay but um yeah I just know I have I kind of have like that similar slight bitterness I need to get over because like the only time they like say they love me or the only times they like tell me I'm beautiful is like when they're drunk and then, yeah. like, when they're sober, they, like, don't talk to me. Or right. they'll just, like, be like, hey, <laughs> I saw you in the newspaper. And that's, like, it. And I'm just, like, hey. <laughs> and, then, and that's it. And then, then when they're drunk, they're, like, oh, I'll kiss the cheesy woman. Blah, blah, blah. So beautiful. And I'm just, like, like, I don't know how to react to that. Like, right. Like, I don't know how to react to, like, situations when they're inebriated and then situations when they're sober and like Mm -hmm. I don't know like I I just kind of just like sit next to my mom sometimes and I'm like (laughs) yeah "Yeah, I don't know or my grandma but yeah it's it's always it can be uh 
I don't know. Very complicated. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, oh, my next question is, you mentioned, <clears throat> like, towards the end of the book that you went to a couple weaving workshops, which I coincidentally went to <laughs> yeah. a weaving workshop with the same teachers you mentioned in the book, who are Linda Teller-Pete and Barbara Teller-Ornelas. Mm -hmm. um I took their class before because I wanted to learn how to weave a rug for my nolly um yeah he was the one that always used to like uh weave like rug dresses for me growing up like for graduation yeah and I always yeah and I always just was like I don't know like how to like pay her back or you know even if I did come out with a book like she you know she only speaks or she yeah she only speaks uh Navajo so like yeah I just wanted to do that to her to show like my gratitude and like it wasn't easy like I was so stressed out the whole time and like (laughs) I was tired and then like um I don't know if Steven Yazzie was like uh filming you guys too for a documentary Oh, I think maybe partly. Like, I remember there were cameras and I was like trying not to pay attention to them. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. was just like so stressed out. So every time he put the camera on me, I would give him like a stink eye because I was just like, <laughs> I'm not in the mood. <laughs> like everyone else was like celebrating like, ah, oh, it's so like stress relieving and it I feel yeah. so good. And to me, I'm just like, <laughs> I just need to get this rug done to give to my Nolly. That's it. <laughs> And it was like, I wish it was stress relieving for me. And I wish Mm -hmm. that like, I had that connection. Cause you know, my, like it's nature or it's, it comes like weavers are in my dad's side of the family, but not my mom's Mm -hmm. side. So like, I'm just like, is it because like my mom's side of the family is not into weaving that this is why I'm so like stressed out. And I had like this weird, like, like stress, like cold sore by my nose and it was oh, like no. <laughs> just because I just was so like I couldn't by the time I was done I was like okay <laughs> <laughs> sorry no, I that remember, was a little too much <laughs> no I but I remember you you were the one who told me about the herd museum like offering these classes which is actually why I ended up applying and then it was funny because I think they lost my application the first round and then the second year they were offering it they're like hey we found your application do you want to come and it was like oh my gosh. two two weeks before it was actually happening and I was in Canada so I was like already living in Canada I'm like I have to buy a plane ticket and fly down to Phoenix in like two weeks and like I'm doing it like my husband was like yeah like do it like you know it's a really great opportunity so yeah I did but I remember you were the one who had told me about them offering oh. a class there because we had talked okay. about I had like missed I like had missed the opportunity to take another class that's happening in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, when I was in high school, there was this really cool, a high school had an interesting amount of money and they spent it in weird ways. Um, they had somehow they had bought like 10 or 12 floor looms, like, and floor looms aren't inexpensive. They're like at least $2,000 a piece. Yeah. And so, and, but they, there was only one class that they taught and only one project that you did to use them. So mostly the floor looms were just like sitting there, just like waiting for people 
to use them. Anyway, so when I was in high school, I had done a project on that. And all of the art projects I did, like the beading and the weaving, all of those were the ones that I became obsessed with. And I would, mm-hmm. I would do like all the time. And so it was a thing when I, when I got to Arizona, it was a thing I knew I wanted to do. And then it was just like, when do I find the time and the money to be able to take one of these classes? And the class at the Herd Museum was like the best opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to take a class with Barbara and Linda was just amazing. Um, and, but, but yeah, it really was just, it was just that it's, I already knew that I enjoyed doing like a physical thing with my hands and and then it was a thing that made me feel more connected to a part of my mother's like family and history um, that I didn't feel like I was getting that connection in other places because mm. yeah. Yeah. Was your um, like anyone on your mom's side of the family, were they like weavers or did like uh, like silversmith or anything? No, no silversmiths. Um, I've heard that or in my great grandma's obituary, I never met her, um, but she did have sheep because I know like my cousin had to like help her with them. And she was like, yeah, they smell like she didn't really, really like it. So I know that my great grandma had sheep and then in her obituary, it said she was a weaver, but I haven't seen anything mm. that she woven. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so what um was there anything in particular that drew you to wanting to learn how to weave besides like um like feeling like more connected to to the culture yeah like more connected and one of the things that my mom you know like in the in the box of things that I inherited from my mom there was like one woven belt and so I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like I could learn how to do this potentially. And it was just an example of a thing that I felt I could replicate. And then I learned that like weaving a belt is different than weaving a, a little rug. And so like, I, <laughs> I still don't know how to weave a belt, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Was it like a sash? Yeah, a sash. Okay. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know how to do that either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, I'm, I'm still like trying to learn how to like um, tie a sash. <laughs> I don't know how to do that either. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those Navajos. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, even when I went home um, to Shanto, that's like where my grandma's from. Like, mm. even I, I had to like, or I put on my red dress and I want to take like graduation pictures. Yeah. I never got grad. Like, I never actually did a graduation for my MFA because of COVID and um so I was like I really want to take pictures in my dress because like I you know I haven't worn it or so I did and then like I was trying to like get help from like my mom and my grandma on how to do my sash and like my moccasins and like I just remember they always used to dress me like growing up and then like and then like when I was asking them like can you tie my sash or my moccasins and like most of them were like we don't know how to do this and then like I was just like what like you guys used to to dress me up like all the time when I was younger and now like they're just like 
we don't know how to do this anymore. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, yeah, it, that was the thing that struck me about my aunt was, I think she felt like the pressure to tell me all these things that she felt like I didn't know about uh-huh. the reservation or being Navajo. Um, but you know, I, I kept catching her. I'm like, these are things that she's just making up or like, you know, like, like she didn't know how to do some of it either. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would probably be that auntie. I'd be like, <laughs> looking at my phone or like right. watching a YouTube tutorial really quick. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. But like, I feel like when I took the class with, um, Linda and Barbara they were like so knowledgeable yeah and like I absolutely love taking their their reading course yeah and um yeah and they were so nice like I I feel very lucky that like they were as nice and like patient and like happy as they were right like they were so welcoming and I love that they wove in like like histories and stories. And it wasn't just about like mechanical aspects of weaving. It really was like a tradition that they mm-hmm. are like sharing and carrying forward. And, and they talked a lot about like, it's not, it's not just, um, you know, cause Linda uh, has done a lot of interviewing about um, different dyes that people have like families have different ways of dying. And, and she's trying to collect that information, not because, um, she wants to sell it, but just because it's information that she thinks that people should know or have, um, you know, yeah, they're amazing. They're amazing, amazing women. They are. And they actually came out, um, I think this year, no, no, last year, they came out with a book about Navajo weaving and they're yeah, the very first Navajo women people to write yeah. about or to have a book out about Navajo yeah. weaving. Right. Yeah. I have it. It's on my shelf. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, I need to buy it. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful. It's like it's a really beautiful book too. Oh, oh, that's oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> cool. Okay, so um, we're almost done with our interview. So um, my second to last question is: In your book, you wrote, "My words feel inadequate. I had never felt that kind of love." but I have never learned how to write about happiness. Mm-hmm. Would you say that is still true as of now? Or would you say writing about the sad is easier and almost to the point of therapy, like ringing, like a ringing of your emotions onto paper? Yeah, I think part of it is that the thing that gets me writing um, or that, that motivates me to write is often I'm writing about the things that make me sad. Um, and I'm listening to my favorite band daughter. And like, I read an interview once with um, the woman who uh, is the vocalist for that band. And she's like, yeah, it just like all comes out of like sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be, I often feel like I want to be a different kind of writer that like I want to write indigenous joy. Like I want to contribute to a different kind of, of like experiencing or knowing. Um, and I, and I, I hope, or like, I, I, I think I had a secret hope that once this book was written and it felt like it was sort of like purged from my brain and I wasn't constantly thinking about it and re- revising it, that, that I, 
like my hope is that you know the next thing I write isn't isn't so so like rooted or grounded in in some of those like sadder or like darker feelings that is my dream (laughs) but but I think you know I I can't I, I can't deny that it is the thing that that most frequently gets me writing Mm. yeah I would have to say the same (laughs) and then like it it was funny because during my MFA I you know recently like fell in love and like got into a relationship (laughs) so like I was writing so much like lovey-dovey happy stuff and I felt kind of weird about it like almost like an identity crisis like (laughs) how come I can't write about the sad stuff like I feel right. like I'm writing nothing but like sappy like happy stuff I'm like am I a real writer if you know and so like I, kind of, I had like this identity thing like at the first probably first year of of like the MFA program and then just also like knowing that like sometimes people want to read more of the tragedies <laughs> as a native person and like I don't know, but I feel like that's like there's enough for every writer. I feel like to write about like this, like every native writer. Like there's enough to yeah. write about the sad stuff, the you know, family stuff, the happy stuff, the love, yeah, the celebration, yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> okay, and lastly, um, where can we find your book? Yeah. Um, so I think for like locally or in the States, I know that Changing Hands has copies of my book. Um, if you want a signed copy, I went to, there's a local place here in Victoria, Monroe's Books, and I had signed a couple copies for them, but those are, that's in Canada and international shipping is expensive. Um, as you probably know, or, um, like indie bound, you know, if you don't know, like a little bookstore close to you, like indie bound is a great place to go and find one. Okay. And I'll also make, make, uh, mention to, uh, my ne- my neighbor, my work neighbor, which is Palabras bilingual bookstore. I'll yeah. uh, mention to them to order some books by you. And also I believe we'll be doing, um, a couple books for uh, the writing prompt giveaway we'll be doing for this podcast of your book. Really that's, excited. A, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is a, such a great book and like, I loved it. And oh, I, yeah, I can't wait till for what you write next. And um, yeah, I'm a big fan of everything you write you, from the New York times article. Um, I always like to share that one with people and um you know dog flowers of course and thank you yeah I just hope you know all the best success that you can have this year for your book even though considering everything's like um virtual or yeah uh, even yeah, yeah. even like AMP is virtual this year I believe AWP is yeah or, everything's, yeah, all, yeah, everything's <laughs> online <laughs> okay are you reading anything for for them I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> I do have an event coming up uh, February 4th uh, with One World. Um, okay. I'm talking with Kaming Chang about um, mothers. Like she has a book out called Bestiary. So we're talking about like mothers and myths and birds and yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And sorry, what was the date? That's uh, February 4th. February 4th. Um, I don't know if, yeah, if this is going to be released oh, before then, but. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'll make sure to share it like on our, um, our, our social media. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. And then like, do you have anything, any other events that you know of um, happening like after February 22nd? Yeah. Oh, February 26th. So I will be reading for my undergrad university on February 26th. And I'll be reading for UC San Diego on March 3rd. Um, and then I'll be reading for Elliott Bay Books on March 11th. with nice. My former professor, Kazamali, is an amazing poet. Cool. We'll make sure to have like, like if you post those on social media, social media, um, we'll share it on our social media too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for the interview. And it was really nice talking to you. Yeah, it was really nice talking with you. I look forward to talking about your next book. <laughs> <laughs> or a zine or a chat book or whatever yeah. else is in the works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to get these projects like going and out there. <laughs> but right now, like... Um, abalone press is my my child right now and yeah <laughs> and it's very exciting yes I'm very excited for it and just to like spotlight like native writers like yourself and just get more native books out there in the world yeah absolutely a big thank you to Danielle for doing an interview with abalone mountain press podcast you can pick up her book at your local bookstore or wherever books are sold for this month's writing prompt, Danielle sent me the prompt, which is, Photographs have always been significant to my writing process. So for this exercise, go back through the camera roll on your phone, go back a couple of years if you're able, or go back to a childhood or family album. Find, an, find a photo from June and write about it. Write about the photograph's central subject. Who or what were you trying to capture? Why? But also pay attention to the smaller details. It's amazing what can be mined from a single photograph. What is in the background? What time of day was it? What was the hue of the light? Who was there but isn't inside the frame of the photo itself? For example, who took the photograph? If this felt productive, are there other photographs from the same day? What other stories or memories do they reveal? Be sure to email us your response at books at abalonemountainpress.com for a chance to win a prize, which includes a copy of Dog Flowers. For more info on giveaway prizes, check out our Instagram, which is at Abalone Mountain Press. Thank you to everyone that is listening. Keep writing. Keep healing. Theme music is Cactus Summer by Colorful King. See you next month. <laughs>